Hi, I'm Christy Kiratsu, and you are listening to QUB Voices. This podcast is released under Creative Commons license. We are on Twitter, Spotify, and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the third of our Researcher Spotlight episodes. This month the focus is on migrant situation in sync with a Human Rights Day observed each year on the 10th of December. On the 10th of December in 1948, the UN General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. In this document, we recognized as fundamental the rights every human being is entitled to as a human being. Regardless of race, color, religion, sex, language, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth or other status. Among the fundamental human rights is the right to education. How does the right to education materialize in the reality lived by refugees though? Note that the UN recent estimation of forcibly displaced people globally is at 79.5 million people, a number that is the highest since Second World War. Today, we are going to talk about refugees' access to education, as well as that's many other aspects relevant to exploring this topic, as seen through the eyes of Morgan Mattingly, who is here with us today at the studio of SARC. Morgan Mattingly is going to be a PhD student at the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work and at the School of History, Anthropology, Philosophy and Politics at KUB. Morgan, and thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Chrissy. So I would like to tell us a little bit about yourself and where do you plan to focus on for your research? I'm from Ohio, but I spent four years working abroad as an ESL teacher or English language teacher, and I'm just finishing up a master's in conflict transformation and social justice at Queen's and I'm preparing for a PhD starting in early 2021. Um, so my PhD project is titled Expanding and Evolving Education Resources of Refugees from Camp to Resettlement. It looks at the education resources provided to refugees from governments and NGOs to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the provided education throughout the entire migratory journey and where gaps may exist. Um, the research interest is not only in finding these gaps, but figuring out how we can best address them and help uh, refugees to have better access to education. That sounds fascinating and so massive. Yeah, it's a big project, I think. <laughs> of course, for all the three to four years that uh, your PhD is going to last. So do you have any background into this topic? Because it sounds so complicated and Yes. Um, so I have a pretty diverse background. Um, as an undergrad, I studied English literature and communication arts. Um, and so 
part of that program was actually the development of a conflict resolution program at my undergraduate university, which is Washington and Jefferson College in Pennsylvania. Um, and I took some classes in that in conflict literature specifically, and that is what inspired my desire to work in understanding how conflict affects um, the human psyche and the, lit the literature that's created around it and the ways that we can possibly prevent or change conflict. By studying communication, I was able to better understand how necessary it is for people to talk about issues and to figure out what needs to be done. And I think that's why I'm interested in research, because it's essentially communicating to find the source of problems, basically. Um, and because I was an ESL teacher for so many years abroad, working with a lot of international students. So in Hong Kong, I worked at a university where there were students not only from China and Hong Kong, but also from Myanmar, Pakistan, um, Brazil, etc. So in the course of our discussions, we would often talk about politics and the different conflicts in those places. And I think that's what has inspired my desire to see how education impacts conflict in particular, um, because as an educator, we, we could have those conversations and then possibly change each other's minds, open up each other's minds. And I think that's a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is uh, what I wanted to ask you. Um, how could conflict transformation be relevant to education? How could the two relate with each other? Well, if we even look at the UDHR or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, under Article 26, when they talk about education for all, the right to education for all, they talk about using education as a peace-building tool, something that can be designed to prevent conflict. So I think the, the way that I've always seen it is that when you're aiming to transform a conflict, you have to understand the other side you have to communicate both sides of an issue, look at both sides, compromise or collaborate to find a better solution. And so conflict transformation is, I think in many ways about collaboration. And that's what education allows us to do because it's a setting where people know, okay, this is a learning environment. There's no judgment. There's no wrong answers really. Well, I mean, depends in math class, you might have a wrong answer, but. <laughs> If we're talking about politic politics, we are looking at human interaction. So there's not really one right or wrong answer. So talking about what could be done in an education environment is really powerful, I think. Mm -hmm. So as far as I can tell from what you're saying, it's uh, like that uh, in the context of ed education, a safe environment can be created so that people can come and interact and explore the exactly. differences and what they share. And yeah, that sounds fascinating. Um, however, I have to comment that uh, research may give you a very hard time and little reward. Still, you're making this choice. So why did you choose to follow this path? 
Well, I think research is really how we learn to improve society. Um, I think as a young person, I was really influenced by a silly, well, not a silly Gandhi quote, but one that's so common, everyone hears it, be the change you wish to be in the world. Um, and so I tried to live my life along those lines. And I think in this case, not only does the research create best practice protocols for refugees, um, but because it's about, and in, in my particular program is about interdisciplinary, intersectoral, and international collaboration, it's also about establishing real world opportunities for research findings to be put in practice to create opportunities for learning. And so I think though there might not be a lot of reward for me personally, it's more about the rewards for society. And because education is such a powerful tool, um, particularly for refugees, um, in the indicators of integration framework, which um, is one of the key principles of a lot of refugee research, um, education is seen as both a means and indicator of successful integration. So that means that people are able to come into society and make it their own, make it their home, make it so that they belong and can contribute. So I think because education is such a powerful thing, that's what makes it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And uh, you choose to focus on refugees in particular. Why? Because I was so impacted by my undergraduate courses in conflict resolution, refugees have always been identified as a particular area of focus. Um, for me, I've worked with people from so, so many different backgrounds, but I recognize that refugees in particular face a lot of corrosive disadvantages um, because they have been taken out of their local environments where they have support networks. Um, they don't have the same knowledge of society that can enable them to improve their lives when they move to a new place. Um, and really that, that move also isn't necessarily their choice. So, much, so many choices are taken away in the process of becoming a refugee. You're fleeing violence and conflict. It's not about making a choice so that you can live a better life only. It's about making a choice so you can live, period. So I think focusing on refugees is about recognizing the particular needs there. And um, I've met a number of people who have inspired me to follow this particular journey. Um, for example, when I was preparing for my master's, when we were talking about recipro reciprocity or giving back something, but whenever you interview them so that they're also gaining something from the experience, um, education was brought up as one of the main needs. Um, and one of the things that I was a little surprised to learn was that individuals who had grown up in refugee camps had so many gaps in their education. And I think that inspired a lot of what I hope to do with this particular PhD. So it's kind of there is a continuity between, between what you do or have already done for your masters and your interactions with uh, refugees and the way that you want to give back to them. Uh, 
Would you like to share some more details about your experience with refugees? Um, well, actually, because of COVID, my plans for my master's kind of got sidetracked. So I wasn't able to work directly with um, the refugee group that I was set to work with and instead had to do a more literature-based review of education resources in the UK for refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and I think that was a good experience. It's basically preparing me for this PhD. But um, in my work with refugees, it's been about recognizing the agency of a refugee, um, that they have self-determination and power. They're not just victims, they're so much more. And just by empowering people, we can allow them to live the best life possible for them. Mm -hmm. Have you already reached to any conclusions uh, through your project and or if you would like to make some remarks on Hmm. Well, <laughs> I don't know if this is a premature question right now, but... No, I think it's interesting. So because I was focused specifically on the UK, um, a lot of my work was centered around SDG 4, which is about quality education. And SDG means Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, they were, they're a series of 17 goals that were established by the UN to create a more sustainable world, which is really wonderful. But SDG 4 is that all people have a right to inclusive equi and equitable quality education and lifelong learning opportunities for all. So that my master's thesis focused on those five terms basically within SDG 4 and also the idea of dignity which is from the UDHR. Um, so I took out the words inclusive, equitable, quality, uh, lifelong, and opportunities, and dignity as a sixth term and then look, evaluated resources in the UK at present. Um, and so if we look at those six terms and do more of a qualitative analysis based on them. One of the findings was that a lot of the time learning opportunities are tend to lean more towards children, which isn't a bad thing. Children obviously are in a very important stage of their life where education is a value, but because refugees often grew up in as children fleeing the country that they left, their education as children was impacted. So we can't just forget that when we look at adults. We have to make sure that education is lifelong. Um, and so one of the findings was that most resources are geared towards children and that there's not as many for adults. And that can have really negative consequences if we don't support adults when they are trying to resettle in a new country. So people assume that when you move to a country with higher GDP, that you're automatically going to receive a good education, that you're automatically going to receive resources that will help you. But the truth is that that's not always true. Um, even for children who come to the UK, the resources are often focused so much on learning English that other education is forgotten in the process. 
So for example, if you come to the UK and you're 16, a lot of the time you'll go into an education track that's focused on English language learning and your core other core curriculum classes might not be part of that. And if you've missed out from your childhood, you're going to be missing out as an adult as well. So creating and understanding those gaps is really important to the PhD and to um, seeing how different refugee groups in particular are impacted because it's not the same for every refugee. Refugees are a very diverse group that come from so many different backgrounds, from so many different countries who have so many different original educations in those countries and then also in the um, countries of first asylum. So if they're coming here, depending on which track they take, they can be deeply impacted by that and understanding how education exists for each individual refugee group is part of the aims of the PhD, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that will be explored more. I can't really say too much about what has happened yet. You have already shared so much about it and we have already learned so much about all these things. So thank you for this. However, I would like to um, note that uh, English, I mean, focusing on English uh, is an integral part of education because it's uh, a necessary tool if someone is going to live, for example, in the UK or wherever. Um, But I would like to ask, do you mean that uh, although the focus is on English, other parts of education are neglected so people uh, students miss uh, necessary tools to go ahead with their education I would like you to elaborate a little bit on this yeah I it does vary a lot I I would say that in general if the focus is so much on English education other areas are neglected so that could be their understanding of British politics for example if they're if they've moved to the UK and they've never learned anything about the UK prior to coming to the UK, if they don't learn the social sciences, they're not going to understand how to be an active citizen necessarily. So if that area is neglected, that has impact. If there's not um, as much focus on mathematics, um, basic financial planning, that can impact. If there's not as much focus on science, how are you going to have the same skills to try to obtain a different job. Um, Education is a means and indicator of integration because it's what allows you to interact in society. Um, There's a really interesting theory um, from Bordeaux about the four types of capital that human beings acquire, cultural, social, economic, and symbolic. Um, And Basically, if you don't have cultural capital, if you don't know how to interact with people outside of your social group, that can cause problems in terms of your ability to get a job. Because so much, so many times when we get a job, it's because, oh, we know this person and they help give us a little bit of insight into what type of person they're looking for or something like that. So if... Um, someone isn't in an inclusive environment uh, for their education, if they're not in classes with students from different backgrounds, they're not going to have that same experience. So for example, with refugees, if they're put on a track where they're separated into English classes for most of the day, 
then they aren't necessarily going to be making friends with UK students and they're not going to have those social connections that enable them to find a part-time job or to um, like join a, a cultural a, a student society and be feel more welcomed and more part of society. So education is, though English is really important to smoothing those barriers and to making sure that someone can get a job, if you don't have friends who are native English speakers, a lot of the time you won't learn a lot of vocabulary that will help you to be smoother or um, you won't have as many opportunities to practice so you won't feel as confident in your English language skills. So yes, English language is important, but you shouldn't be separated when you're in those classes. Yes, I get your point. It's like um, education, not, not only focusing on a specific subject and uh, learning you, teaching you specific skills, but also the context where you can socialize and build connections and learn and make your way through the new society where you have moved to live in, correct? right? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for all this. And I would like to uh, focus a little more on uh, your project. So if I am correct, uh, your project is part of a broader program named Citizens. So what is it about? And what does this name mean? Good question. So... CITIGENS stands for Collaboration and Training and Innovation for Growing, Evolving, and Network Societies. A really long name. Um, Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so CITIGENS is our easy way of referring to it. But basically, it's a doctoral training program that is international, intersectoral, and interdisciplinary. So it is about recruiting and training early stage researchers um, to transform them into professional and uh, skilled cohort that can address global challenges. Um, and here in Belfast in particular, these are aligned with the Belfast region city deal, um, which is designed around an innovation, uh, innovative ecosystem. Um, so they focus on information technology, advanced manufacturing, life sciences, and the creative industry. So they want to look at these different fields and address societal challenges in new ways and with new technologies. Um, so it's about being in, an innovative thinker, basically, mm -hmm. um, and doing so in collaboration with other disciplines, other businesses um, and other countries. Why is it so important um, to do, to collaborate with uh, businesses, other countries, and I don't remember, and other disciplines? Yes. <laughs> um, so it's really important because when we collaborate outside of academia, we can be more effective, I think, with the research findings. If we discover something new, um, we can tell our partner, our intersectoral partner, and then they can help create a solution that can actively be put in practice immediately. If you're working with people from other countries, there's so much you can learn, I think, as well. And 
in having the three eyes, as citizens calls them, you are enabling research that is not only going to impact academia, but is going to impact the world. And I think that's the, the power of the citizens program. Mm -hmm. So it is research uh, in our relation with society and with impact on society too, not research for academia. Yeah, actually, um, most of the citizens program or the, the advertised citizens uh, opportunities here were science-based. I think mine is the only one in the School of Social Sciences. Um, don't quote me on that. There might, there might be more. Um, but I, it's not just about science. It's not just about society. It's about the interaction between them. So my particular PhD focuses on the creative industries and IT um, because I'll be trying to essentially create um, an online resource for refugee education in association with whatever research I do. Um, and perhaps a curriculum focused on the education gaps that uh, we find. So uh, it's it's really about finding those connections and working towards them. I would like to tell us a little bit more about your project and how does it fit within this broad scheme? Okay, so... Um, My project, uh, the Expanding and Evolving Education Resource, Resources of Refugees from Camp to Resettlement, will involve working with a number of international refugee groups. Um, in particular, um, it's, it's partnered with a non-HEI partner or a non-higher education partner um, in, he, here in Belfast. So it's partnered with um, Africa House. Um, or Hapani. So Hapani is the Horn of Africa People's Aid NI. Um, and so it works with a num with refugees from throughout the Horn of Africa, which is a number of countries. Um, and Africa House NI is actually an initiative that brings together a number of African diaspora organizations um, and aims to allow for collaboration, not only between pooling resources, but in education as well. So I know Africa House has an after, after school program um, in particular for students so that they can get extra support because there's so much that might be missing in their education. Mm -hmm. Sounds so interesting. So we're looking forward to learn more about this when you start working. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so your research will also take place during pandemic. It seems that we we are not going to get rid of this pandemic anytime soon. So I don't know if your prospective field has already been affected or how is your research going to be affected if you have thought about these aspects. Yeah, I think education worldwide has been impacted greatly by the pandemic. Recently, the UNHCR published a report that says that a lot of the gains made, 
in the past 20 years have been entirely negated by COVID because people, so many young people are out of school. So many girls are out of school. And the chances of them going back when the pandemic ends are lessened because people are out of work. People aren't able to sell fruit on the side of the road to make money. Um, people won't have money to send their kids to school anymore um, throughout the world. And also there's a digital divide. So here in the UK, most people have smartphones or computers and education is able to continue because of those resources. But for minorities who have less access to such things, they are put at a disadvantage. They aren't necessarily going to be in school. I think in July, there was um, an article published by the BBC that said about 100,000 UK students didn't have the resources necessary to continue. I don't know if that's changed since then. It might have. But Imagine what it is in other parts of the world where they don't have the same resources as the UK. So, of course, education is worldwide is going to be deeply impacted. Um, and for my research in particular, it is about understanding where those digital divides are and how that's impacted um, people's opportunities in whatever society they live in now, whether that be a country of first asylum or whether they go back to their original country 20 years later or something like that. Um, so a lot of my work will depend on people having resources um, to access apps, education apps, or to see what kind of resources are available. Um, and I hope everything will be able to continue as normal and maybe I'll be able to meet with people in person, but these are vulnerable communities. So I have to respect what is available at the time and I have to respect what's available to them and also respect their right to safety. So, um, it'll be about networking and figuring out, okay, who has a phone? Can I call someone? And can that be connected with, can be connected with other people through that? Um, there's a possibility since I'll be starting in 2021 that maybe we'll have a vaccine and maybe things will go back to normal, but that's not guaranteed. So a lot of the work that I do might have to turn online and figure out um, if I can do Zoom calls, Zoom interviews and things like that. But the first year should be a lot of research, I think. So we'll be figuring out from there what happens next. So I don't know exactly how the pandemic will influence the research, but probably a lot. If we consider citizens, for example, and how they have been affected by the pandemic, would you say that refugees have been affected even more, even refugees who are currently settling in the UK? That is a country with higher GDP. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I think I would, I would say that they definitely have. Um, even if we look at 
um, Roma or travelers, um, mm-hmm. people in minority communities that are less obvious in the political atmosphere, they're not going to receive the same number of resources that the majority of people will receive because they don't have advocates necessarily at the highest levels. Um, so when when considering refugees and the resources provided to them, you have to take that into consideration. So if we look at the Republic of Ireland and direct provision, people are put in houses where they have less space, where they have less resources, where they have less safety um, in the pandemic. So if we think about that and how even though because they're not citizens, they don't receive the same provisions that citizens do during the pandemic. So they don't get the same work benefits. If they can't work, they're they're not going to get the same funding um, opportunities. Um, And I think there's been a lot of controversy over the fact that meat factories in the Republic are still keeping um, asylum seekers and refugees working and they don't give them time off um, if they're sick. So it, it causes a lot of other issues. It's not just related to education, it's related to everything. If you don't have citizenship, you don't have the same rights. So for refugees, the pandemic has been pretty terrible. I would, I would say I'm not an expert in it. Obviously, it's still... You will be soon. I will be, maybe. (laughs) It's something that's... It's a developing thing. Mm -hmm. So it's something that's going to take time to figure out exactly how deeply impacted people are. But all signs point to pretty pretty darn terrible conditions. Yes, and also we should also keep in mind what you previously said about uh, that uh, refugees are a group of people that are invisible. They don't have the same uh, degree of visibility as citizens have. They don't have the same advocates. So this uh, is something that we should always consider. And uh, yes, of course, even the right to labor is something so important that it seems that it is a situation uh, that um, happens globally, that refugees are cheap labor hands. If uh, we see reports about undeclared labor or uh, the, the right to work, refugees are badly impacted mm-hmm. by being refugees. So yes, it makes total sense. Yeah, and I think something to keep in mind in terms of labor and citizenship is why are refugees so often in the low earning positions? even though we know a lot of refugees come here with higher education from their home countries. It's because we don't accept the certificates or because the English language, their English language levels aren't the same as business professionals here. So people are being forced into um, lower economic situations because their previous education isn't being recognized here. Um, If you don't have an A-level certificate can you be accepted into a university? If you don't have um, your GCSEs, can you be accepted for, you know, a, a decent paying job? Maybe not. It 
it can be really hard when you're entering a new education system that uh, an elite society kind of depends on those education certificates to prove that you deserve the opportunity to work there. But if the certificates are different from a different country, those aren't necessarily as recognized. I think that's another reason why refugees are so often kept kept down. I think um, statistics globally reveal that only 3% of refugees obtain higher education, which that's a really, really low number considering there's 79.5 million refugees globally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, actually. It is. It definitely is. And higher education doesn't necessarily guarantee a high-paying job. But if you aren't having those opportunities for higher education, what does that say about your opportunities for higher-paying positions? Of course. And also, what are the skills that uh, someone acquires through going through higher education? Exactly. Can we talk about integration when someone lacks the opportunities to get into higher education or to get into education, broadly speaking? Yeah, exactly. And SDG4 specifically mentions lifelong learning opportunities because they recognize that this is something that needs to change globally in order for our society to function. We are a global society. You shouldn't have to have certificates from only one country to to be able to work internationally. I don't think that that should actually be part of the way society functions, but that's more, that's neither here nor there. Um, But if we think about where those lifelong learning opportunities come from and the right to them, why are those um, paths being blocked? Is it because of citizenship? And why should citizenship prevent you from having an education? It shouldn't. So we recognize that for children because the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child affirm that every child has a right to education regardless of citizenship. That UN Convention on the Right of the Child establishes those rights for children, but because there are so many issues when you are a refugee, because you're traveling from country to country, you've walked thousands of miles or had perilous journeys to obtain safety, you're education is interrupted by that. And if we don't recognize that those interruptions exist, then you're not getting that education back. So many schools base what grade you're in or what level you're in based around age, but not everyone has the same education at the same age for refugees. So that's something that we also have to consider. Um, And I think... uh, even when you're evaluated and put into a class, if it's not the right class for you, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to be able to do as well. And that can cause problems in the classroom because there's not diversity training for teachers or other things like that. So it's it's really hard to create lifelong opportunities if you don't recognize that education is interrupted. And that people, there are so many millions of people that they are on the move. Exactly. I, I think that our discussion is going to an end soon. 
Um, and as a final question, uh, I would like to ask you if you would like to share any particular thoughts or if you would like to make a statement, you know, something for the end. Okay. Um, education is a means and indicator of a life of human dignity. It's a vital human right and needs to be safeguarded and encouraged globally. Not only because the pandemic is affecting education, but because education is what enables us to succeed, regardless of where we're from or what we believe in or all of those things that define us. Education helps us to overcome and to understand each other. Well, Morgan, I would like to thank you once more uh, about the fascinating discussion that uh, we have had today. I would like to thank you about all this information that you have shared. And I think that uh, we've learned so much today. I um, hope to hear from you soon again and uh, to learn uh, the new experiences that you will get as soon as you begin your PhD and this journey. So, thank you thank so you. much. Thanks for listening. Feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at KUB Voices to let us know of your thoughts or if you would like to join us featuring your research at the Researcher Spotlight episode. We'll be back in two weeks' time exploring a new theme for January, this time in a new year, hopefully more promising than 2020.